704. Uh, get your Nike light-up sneakers ready. Got a big show on tap for you tonight. It's Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, we are ready to go. I got a feeling tonight, Ira, we're not going to hear from Sean LaGrega, our resident Cowboys fan. Something just tells me that. What do you think? Well, uh, <laughs> they got shut out by the Colts. Uh, it, that's, we talk about it it's every week. I mean, I listen all day. You listen to Sports Talk Radio. Listen to what people are saying. And it's, it's the prisoner of the moment. It's at one last week, the Cowboys are unbeatable. They're winning the Super Bowl. This week, they're going to lose. They'll never make the playoffs. Something terrible is going to happen. Uh, it's just the Patriots, the dynasty is over. It is just the total prisoner of the moment from these games that are very close. Now, Cowboys game was a close, but games that are traditionally extremely very close, down to a play or two every game, and suddenly we can make predictions that Tom Brady's career of uh, 20 years is finished. <laughs> Ira, is, is it not a league of snap judgments? And that's what we're seeing all over the place. Um, it, what you said is true, though, and after a bad shutout loss, you get the Philadelphia Eagles with their Super Bowl MVP quarterback, Nick Foles, back under center. Things are going to get real interesting in the NFC East. The Giants got shut out by an AFC team as well. We'll talk about that uh, coming up here on Iron Sports. You know, you brought up Boston, though, Ira, and I think we have the perfect guest for tonight. It's Alex Reimer. Why don't you tell us about him? Um, he is on WEI Sports Radio, uh, does shows on that sports radio shows there. He's, he's a Boston Magazine for a writer, Forbes Magazine, SB Nation. He's Mr. Boston. Uh, he's a young, upcoming uh, mid twenty, I think mid-late 20s. He is a superstar in the whole Boston scene, sports scene. Uh, probably someone we might see nationally coming. Uh, but uh, glad to have him on because we have so much to talk about, whether the Patriots, we're going to ask him a little about the Red Sox, and certainly something about the Celtics too. So I've, uh, there's a bunch of questions I want to ask him, and I can't wait to get him on at 720. And, yeah, that comes up at 720 here on Ira on Sports. Ira, little-known fact um, WEEI was my first venture into sports radio. We used to do the Boston Red Sox games here at the uh, True Oldies channel, and I was the one covering them in between innings, doing stuff for the Red Sox. Being a Yankee fan was a little weird for me, but so I know Joe Castiglione, the whole team at WEEI, uh, the consummate professionals up there in Boston, and we'll talk to Alex Reimer here on Iron Sports at about 7.20. Ira, but I need to know, where have you been? I was ridiculously busy this week. I saw Steelers, Patriots, Pittsburgh Penguins versus the LA Kings and LA Clippers against the uh, uh, LA about uh, against the Toronto Raptors. So I got NBA, NHL with no baseball. I mean, there was no baseball to really <laughs> see. I would have tried to see it, but NFL, NBA, NHL in the same week. Ira, this is one of those great shows where you go to a Penguins game, so we get to talk a little bit about hockey, knowing how much I love to talk about that. That's coming up uh, still on Ira on Sports, but let's jump right into football. So, of course, you were at the Patriots-Steelers game. This was a huge game all around Ira. I feel like if the Steelers lost that game, their season's over, and they're already kind of teetering, but to beat a team like the Patriots— who is the team that well, they were eleven and two against them going in during Brady's career? That's a huge win for for the for Pittsburgh, and you know, good for you guys. Well, huge, huge win. A loss would have been it been over because I think the the Ravens would have had the advantage in the division. The Titans and the Colts would have the advantage in the wild card. Uh, and then you're happy to go to play New Orleans next week. I, I'm not officially eliminated from the playoffs, but a loss there would have ended. And I think the Steelers played like that. They they realized this was a, a must-win game. And for the Patriots, it was an important game for them because now the Texans have the number two seed and the bye. 
So it was a, it was a big game for both teams. Um, last year, it was the most famous game, 27-24. The Jesse James play was a touchdown, not a touchdown. And then the year before, the Patriots beat the Steelers. I was there for the AFC Championship game, 36-17. And they beat the Steelers 27-16 in Pittsburgh. And in the first game of the year, Patriots won 28-21. So it's been a long series of games. It hasn't really been a rivalry. It's been the last four games the Patriots have, have been successful over the Steelers, and the Steelers really wanted. And unfortunately for the Patriots, the schedule makers now have three years in a row have put the Patriots in Pittsburgh to play. Uh, the, the Steelers have had the home game. You know, they were showing the game from last year, highlights nonstop before you guys came uh, talking about that. Why don't you tell us, you know, fill us in a little bit on the series history, Ira, because it's been lopsided in the way of the Pats up until yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it has definitely been the situation where in the playoffs in the playoffs two years ago, uh, Brady just in, in New England, the Steelers have just been blown out in those games. And then at home, the Patriots have won the close games. At home for the Steelers have won the close games. So clearly this was a situation where uh, people were saying Tomlin, you know, Belichick has Tomlin's number, Brady has Roethlisberger's number, uh, and there was just a lot of pride on the line for the Steelers. They had to win to make the playoffs, and they had to, to somehow show everyone they could beat. Uh, I mean, the Patriots were uh, two and a half, maybe a one and a half to two point favorites in the game against Pittsburgh, which is pretty amazing too. Let's talk about the actual atmosphere. It's one of the reasons that you know we love doing Iron Sports because you get to go to all these events. So tell us about how it was, you know, bringing in all these uh, Patriots fans into Heinz Field. Actually, there weren't that many, and that's what I've been saying. There were very few Patriot fans at the game. The Steelers are the team that everyone goes to. You go to the Patriot games, there's tons of Steelers fans there. The Steelers travel. The Patriots are very much Northeast. They're a team there, but I saw very few. I mean, the Steelers, going to Pittsburgh is different. Years and years ago, when they, before Heinz Field was built, you would go through a stadium, and there was like a mile of parking lots, and everybody was tailgating outside. People would bring buses and buses and buses totally changed now. There are 25 sports bars around there. Everybody's in the bars. Everyone's excited before the game. And then they go afterwards. The casino's packed full of people. They actually, this weekend, just had a sport, the sports book in the casino open. And it's the smallest sports book. And the one little funny thing about this is that if you never gamble and you're nervous, go to the Pittsburgh sports book because they're so <laughs> nice to you. you. Go to Vegas and say, oh, I want to bet this. And like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. There you're like, well, that's how you make a money line bet. That's how you make an odd. Like they're helping people with their making betting there. But it was great to see that. But the atmosphere at the game, everyone dressed in black and gold. Everyone with terrible towels. Everyone very loud. Uh, it, was, it was exciting. It's a great Steeler game. It, was a, it had a total playoff feel. Um, so much so that the Steelers usually announce their players when they run into the field, and they all ran the same time. There were no announcements. They said, we wanted to be ready for the game. We didn't want any delay. They went to the line. We're all in this together. They didn't say announce Ben. They didn't announce the offense or announce the defense. It was the first time I can remember they just simply all ran on the field with no announcing. You know, that's a great point, though, what you brought up about, you know, watching it at home on TV, it felt like a playoff game. And these are teams that are very accustomed to being in the playoffs. They know what it's like, and that's what the atmosphere was, even on TV. So I can imagine being there in Pittsburgh, it, it was even more uh, more effective, like getting that vibe from that crowd. Let's talk about the Patri- I mean, the Steelers' offense. Le'Veon Bell, obviously not going to be a Steeler anymore. James Conner steps in and does a phenomenal job. Jalen Samuels was probably starting this season, Ira, thinking, I'm never going to get a single touch. And now here he is, you know, he took the offense on his back last game. Um, this team really is kind of faceless when it comes to the running back position. 
Well, I, I think Le'Veon Bell's market value is dropping at the moment. Absolutely. When, when not just to say your second string, but your third string cannot perform what you did. Now, Le'Veon Bell's tremendous. Everyone realizes that. But you can see that I, I think Le'Veon Bell feeling that he is a guaranteed $15 million a year, five-year type player is just not what it is when people like Jalen Samuels can come in and rush for 140 yards Absolutely. and play like he did yeah. and sort of follow the position. And, I mean, it's just – it, I don't. Le'Veon Bell is not getting a lot of luck this year. I think everything has gone wrong for him. No, it has, and you just proved that point. I, I, I think he lost three million dollars a year just by seeing how good Big Ben and the offense and the offensive line focus with anybody that you basically throw in. So this is going to cost him a little bit. All right, let, let's run through the game, Ira, because I kept thinking that well, it's Tom Brady. He's going to do something here in the fourth quarter. He did nothing. Basically, in this entire second half, tell us about the, how everything panned out. I wouldn't say he did nothing. I would say he did nothing in the red zone. And I think that they moved down the field, and I think through it. But in the, just in the first half, the Steelers go down there, and they score a touchdown. And what was neat about it is 11 plays, 10 five-yard drives to Van McDonald. And, and they, they, hit, they threw it to Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Eli Rogers. Samuels, McDonald, everyone was catching balls. The difference between this game and some other games is I have Antonio Brown and Juju on my fantasy team, but they were not seeing the action. Ben was really no, trying to right. distribute the ball. And you could see the Patriots were, were begging him to throw to Juju, begging him to throw to Brown because they wanted the interception. That was their whole game plan. He's, like, He's going to force the ball to Brown and Schuster. And they were like, let everyone else open. Let Ben force it. And Ben was not taking the bait. Ben was not going to say, I'm going to force it. Now, he did one time later in the game, <laughs> but they went and drove down. But then the Pats, as soon as the Steelers scored, the Pats go down, and they threw that, that pass to, to Hogan. It was a 68-yard bomb, and there was no Steeler. Uh, Hogan could have stopped and walked slowly in the end zone from, like, the 30 on. The, the Steelers Total all blown the coverage, wrong way. Yeah. There was nobody on that side of the field. It was unbelievable play, um, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be another 50-35 to 35 game because the Steelers went down to score, and the Patriots. And what's amazing about that, the Patriots scored three more points the rest of the game. It was like uh, the whole three and a half quarters to go, and they only scored three more points. Tell us a little bit about how things went. Uh, by the way, uh, our good friend um, Alex Reimer of Kirk and Callahan, WEEI Sports uh, Personality, is going to join us in about five minutes here on Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. Uh, that's what I meant, I, like I always think Tom Brady's got something in the tank. What's about to happen? Tom Brady's going to do something. Take us to the second half because it really never happened. Well, it, it started. The problem started in the, in the first half, really, because at the end of it, they they it seemed like the Steelers then went back down and scored eight play, ninety two yards. They're up fourteen seven. The Patriots get the ball, and now one thing I've noticed has been happening with the Steelers and with the Patriots is that when you say we're going to establish the run, but it seems like the refs like to call these holding calls. So suddenly you're now second and seventeen, and it and it makes it difficult. And then he was not helped by the fact that James White dropped balls. Edelman dropped two balls. I mean, that was really stopping them on third down. And uh, but then the Steelers, <laughs> Ben threw. You know, just the Steelers were driving. It was 14-7, almost end of the first half, and Steelers were driving. And Ben throws an interception. I mean, it was a terrible pass to Juju. But then the Patriots went three and out and punted. So as much as that interception could have really hurt the Steelers in terms of, oh my gosh, they're going to come back and die. They just go into 14-7. And then, but in the second half, you're like, Patriots get the ball. They have it all scripted out. The Patriots, the first half, second half, they're just going to come like against Kansas City. All the other games, they'll come in down in the second half. Belichick off, Steelers all figured out. But they go three and out. And also, the Steelers almost dropped an interception. They threw it to Sean Davis. They almost inter intercepted Brady. Uh, but 
the Steelers went down, and then Boswell, their kicker, missed a 32-yard field goal. It was, like, right there. It was devastating. You're like, how many chances? Like, you cannot leave, let Brady in this game. They go, the Patriots respond. They go to this 13-yard drive, eight minutes. They run by Burkhead and Michelle. They completed third downs all the time. They get down on third and four uh, on, like, the three-yard line, and they completed this pass to Edelman. But he only got – he was one yard short. It was yeah. an amazing tackle by Terrell Edmonds, a rookie. And that forced him to kick a field goal, making 14-10. So then they start this, the fourth quarter. Up four, Steelers up 14-10. Then throws an interception to trying to force it. They finally did that. And you're like, there the Patriots have their chance. Yep. They get it all the way down, you know, ready to take the lead on 14-10. They get it on first and five with nine minutes to go, ready to win the game, or at least take that lead. And Brady, they, they got a penalty on the first and five, and they were backed up, and then Brady was trying to throw the ball away, and Joe Hayden made. He threw it away. Hayden just jumped a million feet in the air, caught the ball, <laughs> as Edelman and Gronk were rushing over to knock oh. him away. And it was just a great interception. Hayden played amazing, great game. And uh, they actually then went down and then went 13 play, got a drive, and uh, were able to get convert third down after third down, like three third downs in a row, just barely. They got the third downs by one yard where the, the, the Patriots got it. And in the movie Al Pacino, uh, The Replacements, where he, <laughs> he gave it Sunday, when he said it's a game of inches, this was a game of inches. The Steelers got the inches, whereas the Patriots didn't. They went the whole way down there, and Boswell kicked a 40-yard field goal, which was just amazing. He go up 17-10. He's been terrible like the whole season, and he kicks this 40-yard field goal. Then New England, Twan the 25, 235 to go. They throw it to Edelman down the field. They're down first and 10 on the Steelers 16 with 45 seconds, uh, and they start throwing to Gronk. Gronk had only caught two balls all game, yeah. and they were like, we're going to go to Gronk, they, and, and they tried it. And it, it was two passes. It didn't work. And uh, on fourth down, they weren't able to complete it. I mean, it, it was Brady had four chances in the end zone, and he wasn't able to complete it to tie it. So they were going down 17-10, trying to score, unable to do it. Just an amazing ending, very exciting. Uh, just the Steeler defense came up and stopped the Patriots. Alex Reimer of WEEI Sports joins us here on Iron Sports in just about two minutes. And these are a lot of the kind of questions I want to ask him, I. Things about um, changing of the feeling. In, in the clubhouse and changing of the skill level, because I think Gronk is starting to feel the effects of all the injuries. But I'll, I'll rephrase the question for you. After this win, we know you've been extremely critical of Mike Tomlin. Well-deserved. Does this win, this is a signature win for a season. This changed the way you're thinking about Mike uh, Tomlin going into next week and next year? No, I, it doesn't change because he's been able to do this. He's won in 12 years. He's been he, the team. He can get the team up for some big games. Now they've got up. They haven't. That's why they lose to Jacksonville. But the Steelers are very talented. Like I'm not the Steelers with Jalen Samuels, Le'Veon Bell, James Conner. They are they have a offensive lines in football. Their defense is great. They should win this game. They should not have been a two-point underdog. What surprises me when they go to Oakland and a team that is trying to lose a game and they lose that type of game. So clearly when they lose to Jacksonville in the playoffs, and they lose two times last year to Jacksonville. So it doesn't change my mind about Tomlin. It changes my mind that the Steelers, yes, I know they have this in there. I know they are good enough to win the Super Bowl, but they – they have to play this more consistently, and, and, and that just winning, getting up and winning one game against the Patriots is not going to be good enough. 7.20, it's Ira on Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Time to bring in Alex Reimer, WEEI Sports Radio personality out of New England. Alex, are you here with us, man? Thank you for joining us. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing really good, Alex. So I, I've got a question. You know, on this show, Ira's a big Steelers fan. 
And week in and week out, we just kind of rip apart the Steelers' chemistry, the coaching, <laughs> their decisions. In New England and in Boston, is there any kind of feeling? I think Bill Belichick's the greatest coach that's ever that's ever been in, in the league. Is there any kind of dissension throughout the fan base and through media personalities like you that maybe the Patriots have kind of run their course on how everything's going after a loss like this? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it necessarily starts with – it definitely didn't start with the loss yesterday. I mean, a lot of this stuff has been going on since the Super Bowl. You go to the Malcolm Butler benching, the weirdness of that. This guy plays every defensive snap throughout the playoffs, almost every defensive snap in the regular season, and then sits for the entirety of the Super Bowl while your secondary is getting sliced up by Nick Foles of all people. So even going back to that and Belichick not giving an explanation, then you have Tom Brady – not officially committing to return until the spring. Gronk did the same thing. It's just been, it's been about 12 months of weirdness surrounding this team, going back to the Garoppolo trade and those ESPN pieces and the reports that Brady went behind Belichick, went to Kraft and said, I want to stay here. Kraft telling Belichick, trade Jimmy G. I yeah. read the reports that Belichick had agreed to send Gronk to the Lions this offseason as well, but then Gronk threatened to retire. So long story short, guys, uh, no, this stuff is not new. It's been a very bizarre 12 months here, lots of palace intrigue. And for the most part this season, the Patriots seem to put a lot of that behind them. But now I think they have the look of the old prize fighter who is trying to scrape it together for one more bout of greatness. You have 41-year-old Brady, Gronk, who clearly is not what he was, Edelman. And, you know, it I doesn't seem like they can do it, as you could saw yesterday. But Long story short, and no, this kind of stuff's been going on for again the better part of the last year. Great metaphor in the the old the old boxer who's on his last yeah. tour. But I was going to ask you that too. And listen, I, I'm uh, I like the Patriots. The, I, I'm an NFC fan. I have no problem with dynasties. Rob Gronkowski this year does not look like Rob Gronkowski. I haven't seen a game yet where he's 160 yards, eight catches, two touchdowns. Do you think those days are behind Rob? I mean, you think it caught up with him? Without a doubt. Uh, you know, he's undergone eight surgeries during his professional career. We all know that's why he dropped in the draft in 2010. He missed his entire junior of college due to back problems, had back surgery. So this is not surprising for Gronk. Uh, last year, he was fantastic he had an incredible december caught two touchdown passes in the super bowl as you guys know he's working with tv 12 and alex guerrero and brady's fitness mm-hmm. guru and he seems to be more pliable and more agile than ever down the stretch last year certainly was healthy but you know you go back to gronk again not fully committing to return this season until april asked about his playing status after the super bowl he said we'll see and just again for the last year and a half there's been questions about Gronk's commitment, and I think that's the reason why Belichick wanted to trade him this offseason. Belichick, you guys know, is always out ahead of these things. He'd rather be a year too, year too early than a year too late. And at 29 years old, going on 30, yeah, I think Gronk's body has taken enough. I think mentally he's wavering about whether or not he wants to play. Again, reports say he was thinking about retiring as, re- as long ago as last August, August 2017. So if that's true, it's just so hard to play at a top level when you're mentally wavering. So, yeah, I, I think we, we have seen the best of Rob Gronkowski. And, you know, what you saw against the Steelers is kind of what a lot of the year has been. Uh, six of his eight games he's played in this year. He's had four – in eight games, rather, this year, he's had four catches or fewer. He has not been involved in the offense for all quarters. He's much easier to contain than he once was. I mean, the Steelers could never contain him previously, but only held him to two catches yesterday. So, yeah, again, I go back to that old prize fire – prize 
fighter metaphor, and Gronk fits that to a T. Well, that was the thing. He, he was undefendable. There were so many teams in the league just like, they, they threw their hands in the air. We have no idea how to deal with this guy coming over yeah. the middle. He, he's guaranteed 60 yards if he makes the catch. we got to make sure he doesn't catch it. Again, we're speaking with Alex Reimer, WEEI Sports Radio personality here on Ira on Sports. I want to hear more about the Jimmy G thing, and we will do that, but I'm going to turn you over to Ira because I think he's got to grill you a little bit after a big Pittsburgh win. <laughs> no, well, thanks, Alex, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess one of the questions, and I've always, I would ask the Jimmy D, but I also, the first question is, I was up there two years ago at the AFC Championship game, um, and the home field advantage that the Patriots have at home, especially in the playoffs, it's just like the Steelers did it. I was there, and I, I thought we were going to win when I walked in, and then when I got there, I'm like, they're not going to win. It's just, what is it that makes Gillette so difficult to, for these teams to win, even, even the aging prize fighter or whatever, and thinking that if they could get the two seed and maybe something happens and they could have home field throughout the playoffs, what, what makes Gillette so special that the Patriots seem to be unbeatable at home? Well, I think most NFL teams are better at home than on the road, right? Um, but, yeah, Gillette, it's not necessarily the loudest stadium, as you guys know. Just for whatever reason, you get there in December, Patriots so dominant at home, I believe, heading into uh, last week. Well, the last two losses have been on the road. But at home in his career in December, I think Tom Brady only has two losses. That just shows you how unbeatable the Patriots have been at Gillette. And, yeah, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this year, if the Patriots are going to go on the road in January, I do not like their chances at all. Now, we've said a lot of doom and gloom for the last five minutes, but there still is a good chance the Patriots get a first-round bye and have home field for the divisional round because right now Houston is the number two. But if they lose to Philadelphia at Philadelphia next week, which is a possibility, especially given how well the Eagles played last night, uh, Patriots take care of business against the Bills and Jets at home the final two weeks of the year. They're 11-5, and five, number two seed, and here we go. So it, it's not out of the question yet, but certainly this year you see them 3-5 and five on the road. Uh, the Packers, 2010 Packers, the only team in NFL history that's won a Super Bowl with a sub-500 road record. So, uh, yeah, the disparity has, has never been greater. And just from a playing standpoint this year, the defense, especially on the road, has been terrible. They have not been able to stop the run, whether it's uh, the Jaguars or Terry on Johnson of the Lions or the Titans or yesterday, you know, Jalen Samuels who just ran all over them. I mean, these are not exactly high-priced <laughs> big-name backs doing it either. So, yeah, they have not been able to stop anybody on the road, especially running backs, and we saw that to be true yesterday. That was a big reason why the Steelers won. But it seems like the national media has turned this into Tom Brady slipping. He's not what he was. I mean, you mentioned all the problems that had nothing to do with Brady, the fact that Gronk and the defense. And what, what right. have you seen in terms of, of Brady? And, and, and what was your opinion of the Jimmy G. Brady issue? And considering that Jimmy G. hasn't been healthy, wasn't healthy in, in New England and is not healthy in San Francisco. Uh, well, if he stayed again, here, and, and he may have stayed in bounds. And if he stayed here, I don't know if he, he may he would have stepped out of bounds saved his ACL. <laughs> so I'm partially kidding. Um, and that's a complicated question. I'll, I'll, I'll take the first, the Brady part first. How do I think Brady's looked this year? He hasn't looked the same. He's looked like, for the first time, finally starting to show his age. You had a couple of really bad decisions in the red zone yesterday. The horrible interception, which he says he was trying to throw away. And then the last series on the goal line was just so atrocious. You have the three heaves into the end zone. And the last play in particular, Brady is falling away as he's throwing the ball into the end zone. Gronk is like triple covered. Very uh, there was no one near him. Yeah. There was, right, there were no pass rushers near him, and he's still falling falling to the other side like he's facing the rush. 
tells me Brady in his head is, 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 is seeing things that aren't there. Uh, the week previously in Miami, he takes a sack at the end of the first half or gets so many timeouts there are. So you are seeing Brady slip in those key situations, not just physically, but mentally as well. Uh, so no, he's not the same guy. Still think good enough to win most weeks, uh, but no, not the same guy he's been. Uh, and to answer the Jimmy Garoppolo question, again, we talk about Belichick wanting to be ahead of these things. If Bill Belichick had his way, there's little doubt in my mind that Tom Brady would not be the quarterback of the Patriots right now. It would be Jimmy Garoppolo. Because I Belichick agree. always wants to get... I'm sorry? I agree, 100%. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, Belichick, look at how he's handled every other position uh, on the Patriots, whether it's linebacker, defensive line, cornerback, wide receiver, go on down the line, Wes Welker, uh, Deion Branch. You are expendable. Or Logan Mankin. Right. I mean, there, there are a million <laughs> of these guys, uh, Darrell Revis, who... Belichick gets out ahead of this thing and turns it over. And he wanted to do that at quarterback. Jimmy G was the heir apparent. But I think Brady went to Kraft, and this has been reported numerous times, and said, I'm going to play for the next X amount of years. And Kraft feels loyalty to Brady and went to Belichick. Brady's our guy. Go fix this problem. So, yeah, long story short, I think if Belichick had his way, Tom Brady would not be the quarterback of the Patriots right now. And I don't think Gronk would be the tight end. And the Patriots would... Be in the transition year, yes, but you wouldn't see this scenario where they really have no long-term plan. You know, going to next year, Brady and Edelman are both up at the end of 2019. Gronk carries a $12 million cap that he may be gone this year with no contingency plan at tight end. The Patriots, the Belichick's 18 years, have always had a contingency plan. They don't have that right now. And in this whole R they have where, again, they're kind of on their last legs is, is certainly not the way Belichick uh, would have drawn it up. At least I think there are some forces here working against them, whether that was Brady, you know, campaigning to play for longer, Kraft telling him to trade Jimmy G, Gronk mixing a trade to the Lions, what have you, but it's some key spots on this team. Uh, yeah, I, I think Belichick would have moved on from some of these guys. I do. Well, the, and, the, and the question would be then, they don't really have a backup plan for anything, but they do for the first time ever seem to have a backup coaching plan or a coaching waiting plan. The idea is, did you think Belichick, does he stay on? Does he want to be part of the rebuilding effort? Or is this something that Josh McDaniels, who almost left last year or, or did leave and changed his mind or whatever, he changed it or did leave or whatever, but would McDaniels, is it a stage where, where we can look next year McDaniels is the coach of the Patriots and Brady's not there? I, I don't know how attractive of a job this is without Tom Brady. I, I just don't. Uh, unless you feel like your relationship with ownership, the crafts is so strong, but you know, without a quarterback, again, you're following Belichick, you're following Brady. I think the odds are much greater that McDaniels takes another job next year. Cleveland looks like a great opportunity with Baker Mayfield. He's from the area, as we all know. Uh, you know, so, no, I, I don't think McDaniels is, is, is Belichick's replacement here because I think that there will be job offers for him this offseason, and I think it's time for him to go. As far as last year, why did he come back? I think that was probably as simple as, he had doubts about the Colts, had doubts about Andrew Luck's health, and you're always going to be a top coaching candidate, coaching Tom Brady, you know, being Brady's offensive coordinator. So McDaniels figured to play it safe for another year. But, yeah, you, you always hear the Belichick and wait, the head coach and waiting stuff. We've heard that for a number of years with Josh. But, you know, I, again, without Brady, with no quarterback, you know, in sight, I just, I just don't see how attractive of a job this is, to be honest with you. I think Cleveland with Baker Mayfield is way more attractive. We're talking to Alex Reimer from uh, WEI Sports Radio in Boston and writer for the Boston Magazine, Forbes, SB Nation, one of the best young sports writers and, and commentators in the country, really. 
but I, wow, I we switched thank gears you. for one second <laughs> to, to baseball um, because I was at the I was, I'm in LA right now and I was at the uh, World Series for all the games and the run the Red Sox had to defeat the Yankees three out of four games to come in as an underdog against the Astros losing the first game and then win four straight when everyone thought the Astros were definitely going to be in the final and then go to the World Series and beat a very very good Dodger team four out of five games. What made this Red Sox team different than the other World Series champions they have? I know it's funny to say other worlds when you went hundreds of years without one, but, but the idea yeah. is what made this team so special in, uh, in terms of a team and their ability to win those three series? It was really never in doubt. You know, we all know the story of 04, come back from 3-0 against the Yankees. Or it's the worst weekend of my life. At least wired. I'm sorry? It's the worst weekend of my life as a Yankee fan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, you go to 07, that was a great team, but they were down 3-1 in the ALCS against Cleveland 13. They came back. My point is they were never, it was never in doubt. The turning point was game three of the ALDS. You're tied 1-1 against the Yankees. And Nathan Evaldi goes on the mound at Yankee Stadium, throws a gem, you score 16 runs or whatever it was. So you beat the Yankees in four. You beat the Astros in five. You, you beat the Dodgers in five. And again, dominate every series end-to-end. They're just, they, they were clearly head and shoulders better than anybody else in the league this year. Great offense, great starting rotation, a bullpen that was shaky for the bulk of the year, but came together at the end thanks to this new rover position they created uh, with Ivaldi and Porcello and Price uh, filling in on their off days. So, yeah, I mean, I, this was certainly the most dominant Red Sox team of all time, and they won the most games in franchise history. And then one more sport, because Boston is the center of the sports universe, I guess, to Boston people, but also it is definitely, you guys have a lot of great sports teams, but the Celtics, is this part of the season, or is this like, are they, it's so early. I know it's just December. Is this like, we're just, we're used to when LeBron, Bosch, and Wade were formed in Miami, it took them two months to figure out how to play basketball together. Is this a season right. where they're just trying to, to feel their way out and they're going to be the number one seed or number, it doesn't really matter what seed they'll be, and they'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals and then could be in the NBA Finals, or are there systematic problems with this team, with Kyrie, with getting everybody playing together and the Tatums and the Browns, it wasn't as seamless as everyone thought it was going to be when everybody was going to be healthy? Well, I, I think they should rest one of their all-stars every night. Because they've been on this little streak with Horford <laughs> out of the lineup, they were in and out. Of, we saw earlier, right? They can't win with them all in. <laughs> they're better when they're undermanned. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's a long NBA season. You guys mentioned how that took the Heat a couple of months to really play together. Uh, that's what's unique about the '08 Celtics ten years ago. That was a team that really was just dynamite from the start. So that was a bit of a different situation since Pierce, Allen, and Garnett were all at the end of their careers, had already made their money already made their all-star teams, and they were ready to win a championship, and they were fine sacrificing individual numbers or brands. Um, you know, this year, look, it's, it's a long haul. I think it's most, Brad Stevens' most challenging job to date in a lot of respects, trying to mess all of these egos and personalities. He had a lot of young guys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, most notably, who flourished last season with Hayward out of the lineup, Irving out of the lineup. They got lots of minutes, lots yes. of scoring opportunities. And now this year, they've been asked to dial that back, and that's been a struggle for them especially Jalen Brown has been moved to the bench. But the last two weeks or so, they've changed up their lineup, putting in Marcus Morris, who shot the ball well. Marcus Smart has given him a real tenacious defensive edge. Uh, so I think the Celtics will be fine. The NBA at the end of the day is a talent geek. Very rarely does a team stack the talent, not make a respectable playoff run. And I expect the Celtics to do the same this year when all is said and done. You know, Alex, you bring up some great points. I like that you were a very level-headed Boston fan. 
and I'm a level-headed New York fan, so I, I'll give some appreciation, you, you know, where it's due in this situation. Honestly, I agree with you well, on, the, on the Boston Red Sox take. You guys were the, one of the best teams I've ever seen. I never thought the Yankees had a chance against you guys, and we won 100-plus games. Is there anything the Yankees could do this offseason that would make you think any less about the Red Sox repeating as the AL East champ? <laughs> Well, I mean, a couple of things. They got James Paxton, which is huge. He's, he's all right. Season, he's all right. You know, when he's healthy. He's all right. Oh, come on. Well, I guess you guys are just negative. It's, it's, the guy can't um, stay on the field, and he's a 3-5 ERA. Yeah, the, yeah. Listen, I'm not saying there's Chris yeah. Sales available everywhere, but would there be any yeah, move? But, I, I think Thor would have been a big move for the Yankees. What would have been a big move? Oh, Cindergaard. Oh, Cindergaard, if they could get him yeah. in however they well, could possibly. Well, we'll see if he gets moved, right? Well, that's I done mean, now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees, the two big things stood out to the Yankees to me. Uh, the rotation is thin, which I think they've at least partially addressed with Paxton. You may think less of them than I do. I, I think uh, he's but fine. Also offen- but, also, but also offensively, they hit tons of home runs, led the league at homers, but easy to pitch to. You know, Dean Carl Stanton, pretty easy to pitch to. Uh, other guys in that line, if the home run ball wasn't working for him, uh, they had nothing, and that was the thing that I think was so good about this Red Sox offense this year. Yes, obviously they had the power with J.D. Martinez, and Luki Betts had an MVP season and going down the line, but they got lots of production from the bottom of their order in the playoffs, and also they were stringing together long rallies, blocks, singles, doubles. It wasn't just boom or bust home run ball, which is what the Yankees, Dodgers, and a tons of other teams were. It's 90% uh, of the league. Yeah, now. I mean, I think the Yankees may have to add some more diversity to their lineup as well. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I brought it up on this show, I Run Sports, multiple times. The Red Sox are doing it old school. We move runners, we play defense, and we get timely base hits and keep guys on base. And this is what's winning now, despite the long ball strikeout thing that everybody else is trying to do. This is why I think you guys are poised <laughs> to just cruise right back to at least the ALCS. So, you know, I give you some credit there, there, Alex. Uh, Ira, anything left for uh, Alex Reimer? No, Alex, thanks a lot for coming on. And, and I want to tell you something. I think there's a chance if the Steelers end up having the four seed and, and the Patriots get the two seed, you could just see you could just see a situation where the Steelers in like three weeks or four weeks in January are going up, going up to Gillette for, uh, for a game. Uh, it, it, it could work out that way in terms of the, the playoffs and how things go. So maybe I'll have you on after that to, to, to summarize uh, whether it's finally the end of the Patriots or now they're headed to the next Super Bowl. But uh, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right, sounds good. I'm sure at that point we'll be talking about the Roethlisberger pick. He threw two Sunday, and the Patriots let him off. So, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> he is Alex Reimer. You know him from WEEI Sports Radio in Boston, one of the biggest sports stations in the country. Alex, thank you so much for stopping by Iron Sports. Ira, great interview. I always love picking a Boston person's um, mentality, what they're thinking, because usually they got their heads up their butts. He is very level-headed just like we kind of are about our teams. I'm willing to admit when the Yankees are bad. You're willing to admit when you think the Steelers should fire Mike Tomlin. So it's good that we've got uh, some balance here on Ira on sports. Um, I guess we should keep going with the football games, I because Chargers and Chiefs, I picked the Chargers to win this one, by the way. I took the over as well, which just barely covered. But this was a game I saw. I, I have said on the show, I think Phillip Rivers is playing MVP caliber football and I think that this is a really good team, and they showed it on Thursday. I, I want to say something. That, the final few minutes of that game, with eight minutes to go, the Chiefs are up 28-14, uh, was just, I'm in a sports bar in L.A. watching it, and people were going crazy. It was just, the Chargers go down and they score, 
and the Chiefs, I mean, the Chiefs looked dominant that entire game. And the Chargers come down and score. People were like, Philip Rivers had this look that he's going to try to come back. And then the Chiefs made a terrible error on the kickoff because they got the kickoff and then they got a penalty. So now it's back on the five-yard line. And, uh, and, and they got another penalty, and it was just a mess. And they were third and 13 on the eight. And then Mahomes got sacked. So this great offense come back. And this is so similar. We have three games, the Rams, the Chargers, and the Steelers games, all where then a quarterback had the team, had the ball, with like two and a half minutes to go, not to win the game, but to tie the game. So uh, um, uh, Rivers has the ball with 237 on his 40-yard line, and they worked it all, all the way down. to down, And it, uh, they converted two fourth downs. On fourth and seven, uh, he completed Ty Benjamin on a first down. They got down first and ten on the 39 seconds. There's no timeouts. Everyone's going crazy. They got to the goal, and there was first in, on the goal on a, on a pass interference, and they threw into Mike Williams for the touchdown. And then the decision that they were the beneficiary of early in the season when the Titans scored a touchdown and then went for two in England and didn't get it. And then go to overtime. The Chargers at that point, and I think that was a, this was a smart move. If they would have failed, I said the same thing. With the Chiefs' offense, the way the Chiefs are, you have the ball, you have your quarterback. The Chiefs are demoralized. Their defense is terrible. You have a chance to win the game. They went for two, and Mike Williams caught it wide open. It was a tremendous open. It was a great win for the Chargers. They they're now eleven three. The Chiefs are eleven and three, and uh, and that would have eliminated. I mean, the Chiefs would have won had a home field the whole way through. If they would have won the game, they would have won the division. It was a huge two point conversion by Philip Rivers in Kansas City. Uh, pretty uh, just absolutely amazing, exciting end of the game. I, I'm I, you know I thought you'd be on the opposite side like I was when they lined up for two. I. I'm thinking this is crazy. This is not how NFL games work. This isn't college. You gotta get the extra point. Go to overtime. They were right though. And granted, there was a nice little push off by Williams on that two point conversion. But you agreed with them in this call because I was like, "What are you guys doing? You've got to take this to overtime." I just think the Kansas. I think the nervous when you go to overtime with a team like Kansas City. I think the fear is they get the ball and they score down and just score a touchdown. And uh, and you can't yeah. stop them. Their offense is so great. And I feel. And also, I think when people think about this, I think San Diego had a play in mind. I think they were running that play. They saw the whole series. They had a play in mind. Oh, without it a doubt, worked perfectly. So a coach sort of says, "I know this play is going to work. We won over this. I want to try this play." Tennessee did that against them. Tennessee said, "We went for two because we thought we had that play." Now Mariano wasn't able to complete it, and it was a, and they and they end up losing in England. But they ask, uh, you know, the coach of Tennessee said, "I do the same thing again. I thought this play was the right play. We just didn't execute it." perfectly and San Diego played great defense but it was pretty cool to see it it was very exciting and uh oh one crazy thing about this game that uh the Chargers had uh Ty Williams and Mike Williams who played amazing Mike Williams has not played well for two years he's been injured and everything people might remember him two years ago for Clemson when they beat Alabama making all the plays in the national championship game well he had three touchdowns this game and looked like the Mike Williams of three years two years ago and then the uh, Chiefs had their running backs were Daryl Williams and, and, and Darian Williams. Damian, <laughs> and yeah. Williams is all over the place. And in fantasy, it was hard to follow because they wrote D. Williams. So you didn't know if it was your Darian Williams or the other Williams who was on the stats. So it was, it was funny. It, it was interesting. I had Damian Williams, by the way, and his 27 points uh, helped me out in my playoff matchup. All right, it's Iron Sports 743, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's keep going, I. Um, two more games I want to touch on before we slide on. We're so late on this show. But the Eagles and the Rams... Uh, I don't know how bad, I wish we had a guy from Philly on this week too, to talk about how bad they think that the fallback from Wentz to Foles is. Because social media is acting like it's not that big a deal. Nick Foles won us a Super Bowl. And Carson Wentz kind of didn't look that good the last couple of weeks. 
Eagles beat the Rams. They got to be worried out in L.A. about the Rams, I. Well, I think I think that Jared Goff has been uh, six it's, picks, it's zero touchdowns the last two weeks. They lost Cooper Cup, six interceptions. Go ahead. And and they have he just haven't he has not been the same type of quarterback. He has thrown seven interceptions in the past uh, two three games. They've lost both of them. Uh, they just don't look they don't look like the same team uh, that they were earlier. It's one touchdown, seven interceptions in three games. Uh, I think I'll tell you what the Chiefs haven't even looked the same thing because then they lose time. That Monday night game that was everyone saying is the greatest game. It's almost like that prize fight when two prize fighters. <laughs> it, it, I think it took so much I know out of both say. teams yeah. that they have not each been the same since. Great call. That was you're right. That was the slug match, and neither team has looked the same since. Three weeks removed. So, but I think from Nick Foles, people forget. I mean, last year he comes in at the end of the season. He won the Super Bowl. He was the MVP. He played great against Minnesota and New England. He outdueled Tom Brady when they reached throwing a million yards. He comes in this year. He was one and one. And people say, you know, Wentz is the quarterback. I mean, there's no doubt that Wentz is going to be the quarterback. He's the next future. He's going to be our quarterback. Holtz is nothing. No, Holtz is nothing. Wentz finally gets hurt this year. They bring, they, they, I mean, Wentz gets hurt. They bring Foles in and he wins in a game that they never, they, no one gave him a shot. It was one of the biggest upsets of the season. And I, I, I like the story about Nick Foles. I mean, he, he gets the team fired up. They seem to be playing better. I think he did what Ben did. He, if you watch, if you watch the game, he really worked the ball to a lot of wide receivers and running backs and everyone. He utilized He everybody. reinvented Alshon Whereas Jeffrey, too. That, Alshon Jeffrey had done what? nothing with Carson Wentz, and now Alshon Jeffrey you know, had his best game of the year with one game with Foles. Well, I think with Wentz, they had, they had Zach Ertz as a tight end. It just seemed like that, that Carson was just good. Wentz was going to Ertz every play. You're he, absolutely he right. He set the record of 100 catches for a tight end. He just did it this week. But it was just so much going to – to uh, to Zach Ertz every single play, and now Foles just is like I'm just whatever's open I'm going to take. I might not have the arm. I'm not going to have everything that Wentz has. But also I think as Eagle fan, we talked about this about Jimmy G too. It is something when we look at guys like Breeze, and you look at Ben, and you look at Brady, and Rivers, and Eli, and Peyton before him, and, and those quarterbacks stay healthy. Wentz now has been injured two years in a row and serious injuries. And the question is, and Jimmy G, too, you cannot play quarterback in this league if you continually get hurt. And I know it's a tough game, and it's hard at all this, and I, I, sort of, I couldn't do it. But the fact is is that you can't stay in a league quarterback and expect teams to give you $30 million a year of their cap space if you're not going to stay healthy during the year. That's totally the issue. And, you know, ACL tears are one thing. And Carson Wentz played with a broken leg last year and did okay for a half. But, yeah, now random back injuries, this is bringing Tony Romo up in, in, in my head. Thinking about things like this where it's like, is my quarterback going to get tackled hard in week six and have to miss the rest of the season? 747, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. I think we should touch on one more NFL game before we move on. It's the Dolphins coming off um, the miracle in Miami, and it was actually the massacre in Minnesota, Ira. This game from the first snap didn't look good for the Dolphins. They were down 21 nothing. Um, I was shocked by this. Minnesota had 202 yards in the first quarter, which is the most of any team this, of the year in the first quarter, which I can, with all these Rams in the in the, in the, yeah. and the scoring, <laughs> um, just tremendous. And, and then – the, the Miami cut the lead to 21-17, and then I, 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 I watched the game, and I didn't even notice it when I was watching this, but over the next five possessions on 16 plays, the Dolphins had negative 27 yards. 
Negative 27 yards well, on six. Ten Hill got sacked nine times. I mean, it's, it's nine times and, and were, he got sacked. And the ru- yeah, Go ahead. The run defense for, for Miami was, was horrendous. Uh, I mean, just Dalvin Cook. Uh, people might, someone might have had Dalvin Cook on their fantasy team, and they've been disappointed the entire year. And if you kept him on your team and you started him, it was like you were – it was like – Merry Anna Christmas. There you got him. 19 <laughs> carries, 136 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, just, I mean, the yardage for the game. They, the, the, the Vikings had 418 to 193 for the Dolphins. In a game, the Dolphins, if they would have won, would have kept being in that position to make the playoffs, and they weren't able to do that. Um, just, a, just a disastrous – a game for the Dolphins, and they're eliminated. I mean, not technically in the, the sense they're eliminated, but they're 7-7, they're seven and seven, and there's too many teams ahead of them that are fighting for the wild card. And the fact that Tennessee and Indianapolis play each other at the end of the year, so one of them is going to get a win, it's going to take a lot for Miami to actually make the play. Before we move on, I want to hear your playoff predictions, but you know, I'll try to sum a few games up here at once. Ira, Houston Texans versus Indianapolis Colts. Neutral field. Who wins that game? Well, I think what you're asking me that question is that Houston, to me, I think is a fraud. (laughs) They're smoke and mirrors. In a a sense of a fraud. But they they could be good, but we haven't seen them. Their schedule this year, they lost to the Pats tight as the Giants to start the year. Then they beat the Colts and Cowboys in overtime. When the Cowboys weren't, like, good now, then they got bad. They beat Buffalo, Jacksonville, Miami, Denver, Redskins. They lost to the Colts and beat the Jets. They never played Kansas City. Never played San Diego, never played the Steelers, and they lost to the Patriots. But they're ten and four with two games left. So the point is, is that the Texans are looking at the number two seed if they can win this week, and they really have not. And they're ten and four. It's been a great year, but they're not. They're just, you know, they're they're, they're hanging around. They barely beat a Jets team that started that Elijah McGuire yeah. at running back <laughs> and Sam Darnell at, at quarterback, and they barely beat that team at the in New in New York. They made Darnold look halfway good in a game he had no business. I'm with you. The Colts beat them on a neutral field any day of the week. It stinks for them. They're two games back in the standing. 750 Ira on sports, 95-9. Go ahead. I want to to comment about in three other teams. I want to tell you something. I think what's happening in in the three teams fighting for the AFC, Baltimore, Indianapolis, and Tennessee, they have decided we are just going to play great defense. And we were going to run the ball. I mean, each team almost had Baltimore at 242 yards rushing. They beat the, the Buccaneers 20 to 12. They're eight and six. Uh, the Colts, they had 192 yards rushing. They beat the Cowboys 20 to nothing. Plus, they have Andrew Luck. And the Titans beat the Giants 17 nothing. And they had 215 yards rushing. And in a year when we're talking about passing, 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 it's unbelievable. These three teams now are battling for the wild card, battling in those positions that Baltimore could pass Pittsburgh, and they're just saying, we're just going to – Lamar Jackson, we've never seen a quarterback rush and for 100 yards <laughs> like he's rushing every game. Uh, just tremendous the fact that these three FC teams have just said, it's cold, we're going to just run the ball. I know in Indianapolis it's cold, it's warm inside, but they're playing defense and running the ball. You have to be a little bit scared about this Baltimore Ravens team, I, as a um, AFC North fan. It, it comes back to what you said. First of all, they were averaging 60 yards a game on the ground before Lamar Jackson. Um, they're averaging 220 yards a game now, highest in the NFL, in, in these four games. They play defense. They have the best defense in the league when it comes to points allowed a game, 16.5 a game. It, that's a little bit scary, but I like what you're saying here, Ira, that teams are finally starting to buck the trend. We can't all be the Rams. Maybe we'll just play some really good defense and try to shut you down. Right, and I think it's going to – I as a Steelers fan, I'm going to tell you the thing. Steelers, next week, 
There's two humongous games next week. I mean, they're all big at this time of year. But the Steelers are at the Saints. Steelers have to win the game. And the Ravens are at the Chargers. That's now remember, huge. The Chargers and, and the Chargers and Chiefs are playing a game that in terms of they're each 11-3. and three. They could have the best records in football, and one of them is going to be a wild card because they play in the same division. So right now the Chiefs have the tiebreaker of the Chargers. But if the Chiefs lose that game to the Ravens, the Steelers lose to the Saints. Suddenly the Ravens control the division. And the Steelers then might not even get a wild card because Tennessee, the weird thing is Colts play the Giants, Tennessee plays the Redskins, both probably should win, you never know. But then they play each other. (laughs) So one of them has to win unless they tie. So the point is the Steelers could be out of the wild card. And if the Ravens beat the Chargers, the Chargers could now be the fifth seed. They're going from having two home games, go to the Super Bowl, to being the fifth seed and have to play three games on the road. So uh, it's it's a very those games are, are every game's big, but those games are big for next week. I love being bold on this show when I picked the Chargers to beat the Chiefs last week, and I'm gonna go ahead and pick the Ravens to beat the beat uh, the the Chargers in LA next weekend to really really stir this all up. Seven fifty three, I run sports ninety five nine, True Oldies Channel. Give us a summary of the playoff picture before we move on to hockey. I just did the AFC, so I do think, I think, I disagree with you. So I think it's going to be Chargers 1, Patriots 2. I think the Texans will lose. The Texans have to play either the Eagles. Probably They're going to lose, week. yeah. They'll probably lose a game. They'll finish 3. Steelers will be 4. I think Chiefs then fall to the 5 seed. I think the Chiefs will wow. lose. Uh, uh, I think the Chiefs lose at Seahawks, so that's the other big game. They're at the Seattle next week. They could lose and be five, and then the Titans would be six. I think Titans beat the Colts for six, but just an amazing. In the in the NFC, the Saints now have control. They're playing tonight against the Panthers, and then the Rams. The Bears are sort of set in on that third seed uh, where they're going to have at least one game. Cowboys still losing that horrendous game, control their own destiny, and they play the Bucks and the Giants. So you got to think that the Cowboys will finish out and uh, and, and and make the playoffs. So it's 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 a it's a you know, and it looks like the Seahawks and the Vikings would get the two wild card spots. Ira, if you don't uh, but, think uh, the Saints, if you ahead. don't think Eli and my Giants want to play spoiler all over the Cowboys Week Seventeen, <laughs> you are sadly mistaken. Because that's a game the Giants will win. They're going to cost themselves four draft pick spots, but they're going to beat the Cowboys in the last week to knock them out. That's just me mm-hmm. saying it. Ira, hey tonight. A lot of money is moving towards New Orleans. I think this might be a sucker bet. New Orleans giving six points to the Panthers. Who do you like? Saints haven't played well on the road recently. I agree. They haven't played in their history. They have been bad. And it's going to be, it, it, you know, Carolina's going to keep the game slow. The yeah. grass is going to be high. They're not going to be running around fast. It's going to be, it's a great game. I'm excited for this game. Cam Dusen, I think, is going to play. I mean, the last time they played Thursday night, remember the whole slide started when they yeah. played the Steelers on Thursday night. So, but that was, uh, that was on the road. Uh, I think the Saints win, but it's going to be a great game. I think they'll win by a touchdown, so it, I think the line is right where it should be, but I'm looking forward. It's going to be a great game tonight. Carolina is sitting at plus 260 to win outright. I think this is a sucker bet. I think they win. Carolina is going to win tonight. I, I don't know why. I've been picking up sets for the past two weeks on this show. I got a feeling, and it's like you said, the Saints have just – there's something not clicking in New Orleans. I think the Carolina wins this game tonight and really just throws a, another screw into this mess that we're trying to make of the both NFC and AFC playoff pictures. 755, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, you took in some hockey. You were at the Penguins uh, Penguins game this week. Tell us about being at the Penguins game and how, you know what you thought of it. 
first of all, it was, I, the console energy center where they play is perfect for hockey. It is an arena that was, they don't have a basketball team. And they said, we're not going to create a multi-purpose, whatever. So I've been there for basketball games and it's terrible, but for hockey, it's absolutely perfect design for hockey. It is. And the fans, the penguin fans are in, they're excited. It was, I just love it. I mean, I, I go to a couple of hockey games a year, but you having going going to so many basketball games, you then appreciate how much I like hockey fans. First of all, they're not getting up and hugging everyone and talking during the game. Like you're not missing the game. You guys just can watch <laughs> yeah. the game as it goes on. I know that they stop really you in the crazy, alley, but people don't just like in football. What they do is they sit there for three minutes. Like there's a three minute t- television timeout, and right before they come back for break, you can see the teams running out. They decide I'm going to get a coke, and they stand up in front of you, and you miss the first play. It's like you had three minutes to leave, and then you wait yeah. right to the play. They don't do that in hockey. Everyone's well behaved. The other thing is when the game is going on, they don't play music. I know that's another strange thing, but when they're playing, they're not and like. The NBA games. You're, you're so used to NBA. Yeah. Going. I don't need a concert. I just want to watch the game. No, you're so used to NBA. I don't need Rhiannon in between, uh, you know, b- points scored and stuff like that. You're absolutely right. Um, tell us a little bit about this team, what you think for this year. This is the Penguins had a down year last year. And they're going to need to look to um, up their game this year. To me, they're kind of doing it. Their goal differential doesn't scream to me that they're that good, but they're still in third place. Well, I think that one of the things that's hurting them is that, well, Sidney Crosby, it was great to be, I was on the seventh row, so I got to see, I swear, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever sat that close for hockey in a while, and the speed of the teams, it's just, it's stunning. I mean, they are really moving fast, and they control the pucks, and Crosby, to watch him, how he, how he control his speed, his size, everything is impressive. Malkin, who's our other superstar, Hall of Famer, everything, he looks slow. And everyone who's big Penguin fans, I mean, they know everything. They're like, he's not been Eugenie Malkin this year at all. Um, he just was lumbering on the ice, doesn't seem to be doing, you know, with, so I think that's hurting them. And uh, what was interesting about this game, which is so exciting, is the overtime. They play three, with five minutes to go, which they put five minutes on with the tie, went overtime, and they go three on three. And the fans were really into this three-on-three. Three. They don't four on four, yeah. to go to a shootout. But then the, the Kings had a penalty. And I'm like, well, does it go three-on-two? And they, go to, they, they give another skater to the Penguins. So they went four-on-three. And within, like, a few seconds, they scored. And uh, so it was a pretty exciting. I mean, they, hockey's been trying to figure out, I think, how to do that overtimes and the ties and this. They might have found the right, after, I guess, 30 years of figuring this out, they probably found the right way to end the game. Well, no, that's what it... it... You're right. They still need to change something. I don't like overtime losses as a stat. It, it doesn't get me excited, and I feel like teams play for the one point. It, just knowing, hey, we're against Pittsburgh tonight. Let's just get one here. And, and I don't like that. But other than that, they're doing everything they can. Here's a, a telling stat. of Jenny Malkin, who you mentioned, Hall of Famer, I agree. And you mentioned size. He's the biggest guy I've ever seen on skates that moves like he does. Better than Yager. There's nobody his size who's as agile as Jenny Malkin. He's a minus 13 this year. So something wow. is happening. They're trapped in the the hell that you see that um, the Blackhawks got tied up in. We have two superstars. We have to pay them accordingly, and we can't afford a team around them. There's nothing wrong with that, and, and you can win cups, as we've seen from Chicago and Pittsburgh, but it really limits you down the line, and now you have a guy like Jenny Malkin who maybe he's got a bad hip at this point. He should never be minus 13. He should never be minus 3. That guy needs to be on the positive always. He's the second best player on the team and the top five player in the league. But we can move on from hockey. It's 8 o'clock on the dot. Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. We're going over, of course, Ira, a lot of talk in baseball. 
and it's really about two people. Um, granted, we've had the whole Thor, Real Muto, uh, Ramos thing going on the past few weeks. That didn't come to fruition. Glad it, glad it didn't for any team involved. But Mikado and Harper, still not signed. Where do you think they're going to land? You know, I don't know. I, I've been following it. I heard a great interview. Reggie Jackson is a show on Sirius Satellite Radio, and they interviewed Scott Boris. And I, I thought Scott Boris was about as honest as he's ever been. Because they said, you're going to sign these 10-year contracts. And he goes, well, really, the players should be making $80 million a year. Like, that's what it should be. So Scott but the Boris. owners don't want to pay someone $80 million on a four-year deal. So what they do is they give them a $35 million deal for 10 years yeah. and realize that that's just deferring. It's a benefit to the owners. We're doing them a favor by giving them a, a 10-year contract yeah. because they earn so much money at the beginning of their contract. But, I, look, nothing's going to happen. And I think when I say nothing, there's been some movement in free agency, which is surprising. But Everyone's waiting to see where Machado, Machado and Harper go. And you just hear rumors. I mean, the Phillies and the Dodgers and the Yankees and the White Sox. But it's still not. It's still up in the air. And I, I think in the way Boris likes it, he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind taking this to February. won't mind taking this to the beginning of March. Um, I, I think it's just really interesting to see with that, these, uh, that these two huge names, uh, transcendental Hall of Fame talents, in their primes are available and uh, some of the big money clubs, though, don't want to spend it. And you see teams like the Phillies and the White Sox that really haven't spent money in years are, in, are into this. But you don't, you don't hear, like, you know, the Astros aren't going to go after any of these players right now. So uh, it's just, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I, don't, I, I still think Machado, I, for some reason, I think he goes back to the Dodgers. I don't know. I just, I just feel he'll go back to the Dodgers. And I think Harper goes back to the Nationals. I was going to say I was going to go vice versa on you because I do think I was going to take the second part of that, and I I think that Mikado leaves. I could see him in the Phillies. That's a good young team. He'd be the, the leader of the team, without a doubt. They're up and coming. I could see him on the Braves. Not that they're making a move, but I think that'd be a great move for them. But I do agree with you with Harper. I, I, I see him. If he's not in Chicago, where I don't know how he's going to play and perform, I, I think he ends back up in Washington. I, I, I just don't... I don't see it, a team making an alluring of an offer for him to leave what they've basically given him the keys to a franchise in Washington, D.C. Um, NBA, Ira. This has been a, kind of an interesting week, and your boys in the Lakers, I don't know. you got you got to have fun going to watch these guys almost night in and night out. They're exciting to watch. The Lakers are exciting. Lonzo Ball and LeBron both had dub- uh, triple doubles in the same night, which is amazing. I got to see the Clippers play uh, last week against the, uh, the Raptors. And uh, the noise around the Clippers is exciting because they think that they have a chance at Duran and Leonard. I mean, you're at the game and you're talking to people, and I sat in seats and I'm talking to some agents or agents around me, and they're like, yeah, they're serious. They could get this. I mean, that's what they're thinking of the Clippers is they could get these two guys. Um, the Raptors, though, watching them in front uh, close, they're good. They're well coached this year. They played well last year, but uh, they are. They had the most wins last Pascal, year, didn't they? Yeah, uh, they were the top seed. Yeah. Pascal Siakam uh, is. Uh, he was a 27th pick last year from Cameroon. He played in Mexico State. Is emerging as this great player. They get trade for Danny Green along with Quali Leonard. They got him playing great. Abaka's playing better than he ever has. I mean, the Raptors could be in the, in the finals. And I saw them without Leonard, and they blew the Clippers out. 
So I, I was I just I really wanted to see the, the Raptors play because I saw how well they've been playing during the year and they're the number one seed right now. And it was just I'm real impressed. They really work the ball. They play hard. And this Pascal Siakam, I know no one's ever heard of Pascal Siakam, and they think it's a computer program or something. <laughs> but he is very um, he is up and coming. Like he is really good. It's interesting you bring up Pascal as being a, a computer. <laughs> Computer programming. That is a language, actually, like C++ and Java. So maybe you're on the uh, coding end, too, Ira. But no, yeah, Pascal was a language. I learned that's how it, that's the only programming I know is Pascal. I learned that in 12th grade or 11th grade. I, I, I was going to say, Ira, I'm not trying to date you, but this was on, like, the uh, Tandys back in the late 80s and early 90s. So we do know about Pascal, but also we know about Pascal, the basketball player. Um, You love boxing. And tell us about what you're looking at from the past weekend because Alvarez had a nice win. Uh, Well, a lot happened for Camelo Alvarez. He he fought this guy, Rocky Fielding. Rocky Fielding's uh, he was a 30-to-1 favorite. Rocky Fielding had a title. It was super middleweight. So Alvarez fought at 168. When he fought Triple G, it was less. It was like 162. But most of Alvarez has been fighting at middleweight, which is 160. This is 168. He looked amazing. He was fast. He was strong and just dominating. And all, all he did was went to the body with fielding and just hit him with body shots and got a third-round knockout. What's interesting about the fight was it's the first of a five-year, 11-fight deal for $365 million, the number one largest contract in all of sports. I mean, A-Rod never got that type of guaranteed contract for five years. Now, he's not doing pay-per-view. It's on this Dazzin network. So I actually had to go for the first time before the fight, buy it on my line, watch it online, watch it on the iPad, and pay $9.99 a month. So, and, there, and Oscar De La Hoya said, boxing on pay-per-view is dead. The streaming is where it's at. He might be right. But it was a little interesting. It was, it was good. I mean, it, it was different. But, but uh, And now Canelo is set. Like, it's different than what it used to be. You know when he's going to fight. He's going to fight uh, on May 4th in Las Vegas. Uh, we don't know who. And then, like, the next three or four fights are all set dates. So you, they, that's how they're building their whole schedule on this Dodson network that you have to have. Also, it was Canelo's first fight in Madison Square Garden. He sold out the arena, 20,000 fans. It was great for Canelo. Canelo's becoming this superstar of the sport. He's now becoming the next Mayweather, someone who's going to draw. And he's weird that he's not going to be the Mayweather pay-per-view. He's going to be the guy on the streaming service. Ira, before we wrap this up, you brought up this DAZN. They've been advertising all over my life. Do you think this is the future of sports, Do you, especially boxing? I mean, obviously, you, you subscribed. This is something revolutionary. What do you think about it? I, I do think it – I don't think it's the future, but it is coming – um, and it's, it's here. Uh, that, they have their back by a lot of people, and they paid them $365 million. So this isn't some little streaming. And you're going to think that, that a company like Dazen, if they're going to pay $365 million to Canelo Alvarez, would spend a billion dollars on NFL rights, a billion dollars on whatever. I mean, there's a point where you could see, yes, that, 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 that if you want to go watch these games, that you've been sort of football. You all, I remember there's a couple of games you had to go on Facebook Live or whatever to watch one of the games in England. But you could see a day when, and, and these other sports where you're going to watch it. And, and a lot of people do. I mean, there's people that don't have television sets. They just watch on their, on their, on their phones and their, and their iPads. So it definitely is the start of something, and that's why it was interesting. It's just more than the fight itself was the fact that you had to buy it on the streaming service, and uh, and, and everyone thought that sports was going to go to pay-per-view. What's funny is everyone says the NFL is going to go to pay-per-view. Maybe they don't go to pay-per-view. They just go to streaming. They're not going to be on the pay-per-view. 
I mean, I basically pay for Red Zone Channel every weekend, and that's about all I <laughs> all I need. So they're on their way there. Ira, great show tonight. I want to thank Alex Reimer so much, WEEI Sports Radio personality, for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.